You don't have to for me. Man, that was a really powerful time of worship, wasn't it? Praise the Lord. The power of worship. I was reflecting today, and as I was getting prepared to come here, that it was 12 years and one day to the day that I met Pastor Rob. And I always seem to call him on that anniversary day. He doesn't remember, but I always seem to remember. It was October 1st, 2001. Then just a few weeks later, Michael was born. And I'm going, wow, this is some church. And we were just a little church. If, and, we were just, and it was just a family church. And, and God brought me there, put my feet on the ground. Pastor Rob took me under his wing. And, and it's just amazing to see the, the, the places that the Lord has taken me and where I've gone and what I've been able to participate in the Lord. There is no better work than participating in what the Lord has for you in this life. There is no higher calling, whether you're a professional in the world or you're a full-time minister, we are all called to the ministry of Jesus Christ. There is no substitute. And to get a hold of that, to get a vision of that in your heart is a heart that will flow into the hearts of other people and you'll see evangelism and you'll see salvation, you'll see healing. It's a calling that's supernatural. It's nothing that flesh can glory in, and I'm so grateful to be a part of it. I'm so grateful to be able to come out on a Wednesday night and share with you all what's on my heart. I believe the Lord wants to speak tonight. I turned my last paper in on Friday night. I think. I don't know it's my last paper until I actually get the grade back. They might say, you need to redo it. But uh, many years ago, I started seminary, or as Pastor Rob would call it, cemetery, and, uh, and it was the longest, most arduous journey I think I've ever been on in my life. My goodness, it's not just the idea of writing papers, it's the idea of what you come up against in the midst of this ecumenical environment where everybody has these different ideas. And I was a late applicant to seminary, right? I was, I was like, well, Lord, if you want to open this up, I'll open it up. I was already past the, the deadline. This was back in 2003, believe it or not. And it was amazing because when I was accepted, I was at this place with my shoes off, and I was looking for a pair of shoes, and I had my shoes off, and I get this call. They called me directly, and they say, hey, if you want in, you need to do it now. They said, you are accepted, but you have to enroll immediately. And the, this is going to sound a little charismatic, but we're charismatic at Calvary Chapel, right? And the Lord, with my shoes off, spoke to me and said, the ground that you're going to tread is holy ground. Do not stop worshiping me. And I went, whoa. Does that mean the ground where I'll be studying is holy ground? No, the ground that you'll be treading in your heart is holy ground. Do not tread lightly. Do not stop worshiping me because to have the gospel message in your mouth for all of you is holy ground. When you step into somebody's life and you're to speak the life message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's holy ground and we ought to take off our shoes and bow down to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and worship reverently, reverently. All ministry flows from a place of holiness, that in my flesh dwells no good thing, that there's none righteous, no, not one. And there's a holy God in heaven. He's holy. He will always be holy. And one ill thought for me disqualifies me forever. I must have the blood of Christ. To get that picture is our beginning and our end. That's our Alpha and Omega. That's our Jesus Christ. 
He has made us holy through his blood. It's holy ground. It's holy ground. And so I would like to title this, morning, this, this evening's message, The Power of Praise. The Power of Praise. Would you all stand for the reading of the Word of God? We're going to go to Psalm 30 tonight. Psalm 30, right after Psalm 29. When I hear the pages stop turning, I'll go ahead and read. Okay. Psalm 30. A psalm and song at the dedication of the house of David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and you have not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto you and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger is for but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand strong. You did hide your face, and I was troubled. I cried to you, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise you? Shall it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks unto you forever and ever and ever and ever. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you as your children. And we thank you, Lord, that you inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, your word says that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, you have perfected praise. And so I pray, God, that you would bring us all down tonight. Bring us down, Lord, from what we think we are, what we think we can do apart from your spirit. You say, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and you shall lift us up. I pray, God, in Jesus' name, that, that you would bring us down from what we think we can do apart from your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit power, your word of life. Give us right eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord. I pray, God, that we would come to the throne of grace tonight expecting that you want to speak into our life and change us forever, Lord God. I pray, God, that you would make us a people of praise, God, that we wouldn't be afraid to clap our hands and lift our voice to a God that saves, the God that saved yesterday, today, and will save forever and ever and ever, the God that is preparing a way in the wilderness. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to praise you morning, evening, and at noon. Prick our hearts, Lord. Bring us down. Humble us. Let us see rightly. Let us hear correctly, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Who doesn't love a good song? Who doesn't love to worship? Who doesn't love music, right? Everybody loves music. We all grew up with music. Especially if you're a teenager, everything's about music. It defines you. It's your culture. It's your identity. 
And even when we come into church, what happens? We get saved, and then there's this whole world of music. This new music, this Christian music, right? That's what I did. And everywhere I went, I listened to Christian music. And I would worship the Lord. In fact, I would come early to church and I would sit in the pew, if you can call it a pew, and I would prepare my heart to worship the Lord. But guess what happened? This is no condemnation to anybody. Lord help. (laughs) But all of a sudden, I started to show up to church a little late. And then all of a sudden, I started to show up to church and just stand out in the foyer And I would talk to everybody and say, I'm just going to come for the word because it's the word of God, right? It is the word of life. It's the word of God. We just throw a guy up there and and he plays the guitar and that's worship, right? Just worship the Lord, right? But it's the word of God. That's the 99.9% that we need to know when we come to church, right? And the point one hundredth of percent is just worship, right? Not at all. It took me a long time to realize that because I had intellectual aptitudes that allowed me to excel in the arena of of scholasticism and academia. In the midst of that, I began to lose my heart for worship. And in the midst of my heart being lost for worship, my faith began to become an intellectual ascent rather than a person that would get on their knees and worship God. And guess what happens? The same thing that will happen to any of us that get to that place. Our heart begins to grow cold. We begin to lose our first love. We begin to put our intellectual understanding of doctrine in church ahead of a heart that's reverent for God. When everything's said and done, the only way we can receive the gospel of Jesus Christ is by a broken and a contrite spirit, a spirit that is willing to come down and receive Jesus and allow him to lift him up in the power and the admonition of the Lord. Everything in our will fights it. It was C.S. Lewis that said that every bone in my body strives to establish my own works of righteousness. To come down to a place where Christ is my all in all is this journey that we are on. And it happens through the word of God, yes and amen, but not at the absence of worship. Not at the absence of worship. Now, I don't want to go on some theological conundrum and start to say, well, worship is this and worship is that. I'm speaking worship. I'm speaking psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing as unto the Lord, okay? That's where we're coming from because that's what we're going to look at in this psalm today. You see, what you have here is the psalmist, and wherever you're coming from, I'm going to call the psalmist David, amen? Amen. David's the psalmist tonight. That's who I believe is the psalmist. And so David is the psalmist. And he's looking at this situation. He's proclaiming that there was a time that I was established in the power of God. And yet because I was established, I said, I will never be moved. I will never be moved. There's a confidence that I have in God that I won't be moved. And he began to put a confidence along with God into himself. And as a result of it, he began to crumble when the test came. He says, I will exalt you, O Lord. And the word exalt is in the imperfect tense. It means I will raise you on high perpetually, day after day after day. I will not stop exalting you. And he says, because you have lifted me up and my foes did not rejoice over me. You see, the Lord had delivered David when David was in a point of sickness or there was a foe that was after him that he could not escape. It's not exactly certain what his plight was, but there was something that was threatening his life, threatening to take him down to Sheol, 
hell or the pit or the grave. And he's saying that there was a point when I was gone. And when I cried out to the Lord, he saved me. He says, the Lord delivered me. But only when I cried out to the Lord in the perfect tense of the verb. It means I came to a point where I couldn't do anything else but cry out to the Lord. It was exact. It was perfect. I knew that there was nothing left in my flesh that could procure my own righteousness. I was not going to be able to save myself. There was no way in the world that was going to happen. And you see this in the first three verses of this psalm. He says, you have lifted me up. I cried unto you and you brought up my soul from the pit, meaning he was very close to death. He was at the end of his rope. And then I came out. And because I came out, I extol you. The correct translation of that is I raise you up on high over and over again. It's a heart that pours forth from gratitude. He reached the end of his rope, and as a result, the Lord saved him, and now he cannot but help to worship the Lord morning, evening, and at noon, always and forever. You know, there's a couple people in the church that I have down in, in Malibu, and these, this couple, and, and they, they, they serve relentlessly, and they worship relentlessly, and they read the word relentlessly. And it's not something they say, okay, Brian said, do this, and they did it. No, they did it already because they were saved from the pit of Sheol. They both had very close to the grave experiences, and when they cried out to God, both of them being pronounced to die, when they cried out to God, God lifted up their soul and put them back on the straight path and God revived them in a very miraculous way. And everything they say and do now is out of heart of gratitude. It's the most amazing testimony. They put me to shame. I say when I'm not there, they're pastoring the church. They're always on it, on everything. And I'm going, that theology is a theology of gratitude. They put others' needs as more important than their own. Everything they do is as on to the Lord. And when we do things as unto the Lord, we begin to worship the Lord in doing so. And when we do so, guess what, we ha- guess what happens to us? We become like that that we worship. Don't we? Now, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in the world. And I can tell you the first concert that I went to, it was the Kinks. It was at the Los Angeles Forum, and I was nine years old. And then when I was ten years old, I went to Willie Nelson. I saw Willie Nelson. Whiskey River, you know, and I was at Mammoth Lakes. I was 10 years old. And then just the concerts from there, Judas Priest, the Rolling Stones, all these different concerts. And it's amazing how, how Satan, Lucifer, the enemy, goes right after the hearts of our children, right, through worship. Isn't that the first place he goes is worship? You get a group of people singing in harmony to one, with one another onto a demonic God, a lowercase g, And guess what happens? It changes their life completely for darkness. I came to a point when I was listening to Ozzy Osbourne, all these crazy bands, and I got to a place where I literally, I felt like my soul was gone. I didn't know that, though. I had no Christian understanding. I had nothing. All I knew is that I was a worshiper. I put those music, that lyric first before anything else, and that's what we did. That was our mantra. Everything we did was about music. And I had to burn all of that music and I had to throw all of those t-shirts away. The hard one was giving up that Dio t-shirt. I worked hard to get that one. 
And I see that I, I lost many friends to that world of drugs and alcohol and all of that junk. Satan, the first thing he goes after is the heart of worship. And the first thing he wants to do is silence the people in the church. Just like he silenced me while I was a Christian abiding in the Lord with a mind that was worshiping the word of God morning, evening, and at noon, but had lost a heart of worship because something happens in worship that doesn't happen anywhere else. When you worship in community, something happens that breaks us down. We lift our hands on high and the Holy Spirit that we serve the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead does something to us. It humbles us in the sight of the Lord. And all of a sudden, we don't see ourselves as being all that. It came to a point where, where I went on a little exodus. and I, I, left, I left Calvary Chapel for a while. Not that there was any. I loved this church. It was one of the hardest things I ever did. And I ended up taking an exodus from California and I was trying to find my relationship back with God for the life of me. I couldn't, I couldn't get that heart back to worship Jesus. I tried with everything I had to worship Jesus, and I couldn't worship him again. I could worship him with my words. I could read the word. I was faithful in that. But to get back to that place where that still small voice would speak to me in the evening, like this anointing where you knew it was the voice of God, it was unmistakable, was impossible to get back to. In other words, it seemed as if the Lord was hiding himself from me. Have you ever felt like the Lord was hiding himself from you? Like, I cannot seem to get to the Lord. I can pray, I can repent, I can go to the worship service, but something prevents me from feeling the experience of God in my heart, the still small voice. Now, our faith is not dependent upon a feeling, amen? amen. It is not dependent on a feeling, but a relationship that has no feeling at all is really not alive. Wouldn't you agree? Any of the marrieds, could you agree with that? doesn't mean you stop committing to that relationship, but if that relationship doesn't have some sort of affection or emotion to it, then it's probably pretty dry, wouldn't you say? Something's wrong. That's what happened to my relationship with the Lord. You see, King David is looking at this and he's saying, I don't know what happened, but all I know is that the Lord allowed him, allowed me to go to the depths of Sheol. And it says that all, he, he says that, you hid yourself from me. It says in verse, where did it go? He says, you hid yourself from me, O Lord. It says that the anger of God was manifested against David, and the result was it came through the form of hiding. It says that the Lord hid his face from David, and the word in the, in the Hebrew is safar, and it means to hide very carefully. It means he, he, very, he progressively hid himself and kept hiding himself more and more contingent on the response of the person he was hiding himself from. That sounds pretty crazy, huh? To think that God would hide himself from you? God can't do that. You mean, all I got to do is cry out to God and it's there. Yes, if it's in the heart and the heart goes all the way down to the place where God, it's you and you alone. You see, the Bible says in Psalm 138 verse 6 that he holds, he comes close to the lowly, but he holds the proud from afar. And when David said, I will never be moved, 
He was pronouncing it in his own self-righteousness. And as a result of that self-righteousness, that intellectual pride began to build up to a place where he could no longer hear the Lord. He could no longer access the Lord. And it felt like the Lord was no longer a part of his life. And what happened? The Lord hid himself by pulling his hand back and said, David, I'm going to let you do this on your own for a little while. And guess what happened? He didn't do too well, did he? His enemies were taking him down. He was close to Sheol. He was right near the pit of death. And he, it wasn't until then that he cried out to the Lord. And this word to cry out is yatha. It basically means to throw or cast an arrow into the sky and to cry out and to keep on crying out until there's a response. It's an inexhaustible force that comes from deep from within the soul of a man or a woman that says, I am not going to be moved until God blesses me. I'm not going to be moved until God speaks to me again. It's a confession. It's a confession of one's sins, and it's confessing of the name of God. He says that he did this at the remembrance of his holiness, that our God is a holy God, and no flesh will glory in his presence. Hmm. You see, we don't talk too much in the church about the anger of God, do we? It's not very popular, the anger of God, but it's very real. The anger of God and the wrath of God can come in many forms. It can come in a form of judgment, but it can also come in a form of hiding himself from you. In fact, that's exactly what happened to Christ on the cross. When he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, what was he saying? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he said in the book of Isaiah chapter 54, verses 6 and 7, I have done it for but a moment. I have hid myself from you for a moment, Sethar, but in great mercies, I will redeem you. Why did he hide himself from him for a moment? In other words, why did he pull back his presence and allow Christ to feel the forsakenness of God? Because there is no other way to redeem you and I. With the presence of God comes the absence of wrath. With the presence of God comes the absence of judgment, comes the absence of a destructive life or a destructive nature. No weapon formed against you can stand. God inhabits the praises of his people. That's why we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, not just truth of the word of God, but in in the spirit of a heart that's reverent, that sees him as a holy God. There is no other way than to come down to our face and access our Lord. You know, for years and years, I'm looking for God up in the ethereal, really looking for him up in my mind. And all the while, I'm realizing that God is really down washing my feet because he's lowly. He's a lowly God. That's how he came to humanity. And in order to worship a lowly God, guess what happens? You got to go where God goes and you got to lower yourself. You've got to come down from who you think you are, what you think you can do, apart from the power of God, from the Spirit of God, from the Word of God. Now, my heart, (laughs) I love the Lord. I love the Lord. But I lost my way. I lost my way. And I couldn't get back. 
And I look back at that whole time as still this mystery. Lord, why wasn't? How did that happen? Why couldn't I get back? All my theology just tells me, you just cry out to God and boom, he's there. He's my genie in the sky. All the while, I didn't want to let go of the identity that I had built up in myself with intellectualism and all this other stuff. I wanted God and I wanted my identity as well. Isn't it amazing when when Peter was up on the mount, Peter, James, and John, and guess who Jesus does the transfiguration? And there's Elijah and there's Moses. And the first thing Peter wants to do is what? Build an altar. Every bone in our body wants to build an altar, wants to build something up that we can call our own. If you were to get alone with God and walk with God and worship him, say out on the beach or up in the hills, and you were to walk long enough, the Lord will begin to show you. This isn't, because I know I'm no different than you all. When I, us, that every bone in our body strives to build some form of righteousness. Why is that? Why is that? Because Christ goes at our very identity. That's what he was saying to the Jews and the Pharisees. He said, you have been trying to establish your own righteousness, and the only righteousness that will suffice is the righteousness of the, of the blood of Christ. There's no shortcuts. There's no other way. And only by coming down from who we think we are, what we think we can do, can we access this. Can we come down to a place of really having the joy of the Lord as our strength? And something happens when we get to that place. We start to quiet down. We start to look at other people's needs as more important as our own. Wouldn't you say that is your experience? That you start to see the needs of others, all of a sudden you begin, an, you begin giving eyes to see the needs around you? All of a sudden you become a servant from a place of gratitude rather than a servant trying to procure your own righteousness or your own identity or say, hey man, look at me carrying the coffee pot or serving in the ministry or this, that, or the other. No, it just comes to a place where All you want is Jesus, and all you want is for other people to see Jesus, to see Jesus for who he really is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords that humbled himself and took on a cross so you and I would not have to die, but we could have eternal life. You know, we preach the gospel message over and over and over again, but each one of us is on this journey to get that gospel message so deep in our soul that everything we do is out of a place of gratitude. And I look back at that period where I couldn't seem to access the Lord any longer, and it seemed like I knew God was there, I knew he was covering me, I saw his protective agencies all around me, but to get to that place where the still small voice was governing every decision, governing my heart and my mind, was a place that required absolute and total humility and I came to a place where I was up on this little country church believe it or not in Kentucky way out there on the east coast and I walked into this church and these people were praising God in a manner that I've never seen before they were praising God with stringed instruments and percussions and they were singing to the Lord with their hands up and they were clapping their hands and they were booming out worship to God. And something happened to me in that worship service that I couldn't have done on my own. God began to break strongholds of intellectualism, pride and fear and identity seeking that was apart from Christ. And all of a sudden I began to realize that, you know what? Worship is much more than just showing up to a service. This was actually a three-hour worship service 
And I believe with my heart the Shekinah glory of God came right down in the middle, middle of it because I, at first I was comfortable, uncomfortable with it. But then I saw people begin to cry out to God and you could feel the chains breaking from people's lives. You could feel the spirit of God moving in this place that was so powerful that you knew you would never ever be the same. That there was so much more to worship than just showing up and lifting up your hands and saying, okay, we did that part. It was a place where you're coming to God knowing that he's the chain breaker. That he's the one that will set the captives free. That's what he came for and that's the anointing. And when we worship God in that manner, guess what happens? The anointing falls on you just as well. And you begin to move in that capacity. You begin to see where the chains are in people's lives. And even where the chains are in your own life. Could you imagine that? But I'm a Christian, man. I thought that once I was saved, I was always saved. Yes, you are. But you are in a process of being sanctified. And when you come up against a wall and no longer the voice of God is speaking in your life, I would venture to say that there's some form of pride that's preventing you from going to the next level. Guess what happens to this? If you're called to go to the missions field, say, in Uganda, or Burma, or Bangalore, India, or Newberry Park, wherever the Lord may call you and you're not obedient to that call, guess what happens? Your heart begins to grow cold to the voice of God. You're still a Christian. You're still saved. You have your salvation card. But guess what happens? You begin to become bored with God. And can I venture to say that God is never ever, ever boring. He's never boring. I mean, do you, can you really say that God is boring or the worship service was boring or the teaching was boring? During this time, when I was down in this place, and I could not access God. It was amazing that I would go into a service and people would say, wow, wasn't that an amazing message? And I would say, I thought that was the worst message I ever heard. I wouldn't say that out loud, but I'm thinking to myself, and I would hear it again the next Sunday, and the next Sunday, and something, I'm a slow learner spiritually, I take a long time to learn things, something began to dawn on me. It was me. I had grown hard. My heart had grown cold to the things of God. If other people were being blessed, but I could no longer receive the blessing, something was wrong with me. That's pure logic, wouldn't you say? Does the word of God ever return void? Absolutely not. Could you be edified by the spirit of God working through the mouth of a babe or suckling, just reading the word and the children's ministry? I should hope so. I should hope so. You see, David's point of reversal from being in this pit right near Sheol, right near his grave, the point of reversal said that he cried out who? Who did he cry out to? Did he cry out to his mother, his father? Did he cry out to the church to save him? Did he cry out for some man to save him? No, he cried out to the Lord. It said that he made supplication. This idea to make supplication is that he got down on his knees and he recognizes one that he was inferior to. He pleaded with this God in the imperfect tense, meaning he pleaded with him over and over and over again until God moved in his heart and he turned that place of bondage in his heart. He continually went after him and he asked God these three questions. He said, 
What profit is there in my blood? And then he said, shall the dust, yatha, praise you? Shall the dust praise you? This word yatha, like I said before, means to cast arrows and to confess and to praise and thank. Will the dust praise you? Shall the dust declare your truth? In other words, what David is saying is that I am designed to praise you. I am designed to worship you. And if I die, I will not be able to worship you. Without a heart to worship, the voice of God grows silent in my heart. If I don't worship, God will be silent in my heart. The dust will not praise you. I will not praise you. I would venture to say that when we do not praise the Lord, the word of God grows silent in our heart. But it was when he praised God that God delivered him. The absence of praise is the absence of God. And it's interesting how Lucifer captures this place of praise. Isn't it interesting how there's three different angels in the Bible? The first angel, let's talk about Gabriel for a minute. Who was Gabriel? The messenger angel. Then there's Michael, the archangel, but then there's Lucifer, the anointed cherub from Isaiah 14 and and Ezekiel 28. It recognizes him as the anointed cherub. In other words, he was the chief worship leader in heaven. And what was he designed to do? To lead the people in worship. That's what he was designed to do. Now, how do you and I worship? What are the symbols that we see in the Bible for worship? First of all, there are percussion instruments. We clap our hands, right? There's wind and pipe instruments. We speak out to the Lord. There are stringed instruments, just like the vocal cords in our life. Now, I would venture to say that if we cannot praise the Lord nor cry on the name of Jesus, I would venture to say that the enemy is strangling us spiritually and preventing us from doing so. And you have to do it anyways. Let me venture, let me say it like this. Do you praise the Lord because of the way you feel? Or do you praise the Lord because who he is in heaven? Because who he is in heaven, even if you come in here and you feel like the devil himself, you worship and praise him. Why? Because who he is in heaven. That's the bottom line. And when, we, when the enemy silenced the voice of praise in his people, I guarantee that the power of the spirit of God in our lives begins to grow silent and cold and hard. It wasn't until David cried out that the voice of praise began to flow and he says that I would not hide my face from you anymore. You see, it comes to the lowly and it comes to the meek and it comes to those that fear the Lord. What profit is there in my blood? What profit is there from the dust? All the Lord wants us to do is be satisfied in him, to glorify him. He wants us to praise him morning, evening, and at noon. In other words, to have a perpetual heart of love and praise and worship. And only when we get to that place do we really, really experience the power of our Savior working through us and in the lives of others. He says, to this end, 
that my glory, my victory, my prosperity, my health, my treasures may sing praise to the Lord. And to this end that I would never be silent. And to this end would I praise the Lord my God forever and ever. You see, the power of praise has the power to save all of those that will put their trust in him. You praise the Lord. I mean, really praise the Lord. God will do things in your life that will rock your world. If you don't praise the Lord, I guarantee you, your walk with the Lord will be boring. Not only will it be boring, it will lack anointing. Not only will it lack anointing, you'll begin to see the divine appointments dry up and no longer existent. And all of a sudden, church becomes an obligation. And all of a sudden, the worship service becomes a bore. And and the word no longer speaks to you the way it did in the beginning. But when we come back to the Lord and we worship him in spirit and in truth, we see that worship has the power of praise, has the power to save all those that put their trust in God In other words, do we need to lose everything before we come to a place where we see that God is God and we are not? Or do we just need to get to a place where we say, God, I will praise you. I will worship you. Though you slay me, I will worship you morning, evening, and at noon because you are worthy to be praised. Amen? I don't know what time you guys usually end. It's 8.30, right? Well, I'm finished, and so I want to just go ahead and pray for you all right now, okay?